Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So the other day, uh, we got in from Amazon Prime a box with a bunch of glasses. So my kids wear those glasses now when they look at the computer screen. They kind of block out the, what is it, the blue light? <clears throat> my daughter picked out lenses that are slightly rounded. And uh, when she puts them on, she kind of looks a lot like me. And I asked her if she brought them with her today. She didn't, but, uh, but she put them on. And yesterday she said, every time I wear these, the kids at school keep saying I look like you. And I said, really, put them on. So we put on the glass. I put on mine. We stood by the mirror and just freaked out a little bit. It was kind of cool. It was very cool. So part of it is, part of it is, is that as a, as a dad, I was so fearful of having daughters because they might end up looking like me. Because that would, that would be odd. But there's a pretty version of me, and that's kind of that's nice. So here's what happens, though. When my kids I- imitate me, like so Zach might put on a cardigan sweater, and then he'll start trying to imitate me. And Ellie, as soon as she had those glasses on, we looked, she starts doing these things. Like, now here's the thing, right? Because that's what I do. And, um, and she goes, and I blocked for Christian Okoye. And because, that was laughter. So he, because here's the thing. <laughs> see? see? Um, I know that often when I'm talking to someone or at least introducing myself to someone, we get in a conversation, it, it, it seems that the topic might go to football. They say, well, you're a big guy. Did you play football? And if, of course, I'm happy to say that, yes, I did. And I played for Azusa Pacific University. They all go, Azusa Pacific? I'd never heard of that. And I'll say... I blocked for Krishna Koye. He, he was our tailback. He was the Nigerian nightmare, played for the Kansas City Chiefs, all pro back. He's the huge guy. He was 265 pounds around a 4440. It was awesome. Now, I, why do I say that? Why do I bring it up? Yes, partly it's just because we're trying to get to know each other, but in part it's a little bit of a boast, right? I, I want to I wanna reveal to someone a little bit about myself, and it's something that I take pride in. Um, my time playing football, a lot, of, a lot of who I am, came from my eight years, four in high school and four in college playing football. And it's a, so it's, a, it's kind of like a boast. It, it's it's uh, talking about my identity. And, and this is one of the questions I have for us then as we uh, go into the verse here. Um, what do we boast about? Who do you boast in? Uh, your accomplishments, various things, or do you boast in the Lord? 
So let's look at our, uh, our text today is James verses nine, chapter one, verses nine through 12. I added verse 12, so if you're anticipating only through 11, it's, it's, that's my deal, I added verse 12. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the first from chapter one, verses two, uh, all the way through 12, so those uh, through eight is, is kind of review. Here we are. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who has, gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We pray with me. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word because in it, it is like a mirror. And through it, we see ourselves. We see our need for you. Father, we know that we will face trials it's part of this life. But God, we're so thankful that you've given us your word that we might learn to uh, understand them, to know, Lord, what is important, to give us, Lord, a vision for what your plan is. And I pray, God, that as we go through trials and as we prepare to go to, through further trials, you would help us long for your plan and for the glory that awaits us in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see from that whole verse that James starts off by telling us that we'll have trials. When you have trials, where it just is. And, and that we should be joyful because of those trials, because there's a purpose to those trials, and that is that we might become steadfast. Our faith produces steadfastness when it is tried. And that, that full effect of steadfastness is that we become perfect. This is God's plan for us in our fallen world, that we become conformed to the image of his son. And that won't happen unless we go through trials and our faith is tested. If we lack wisdom, we don't know understand what we ought to do during these trials, we need to ask God and he will generously give it to us. And if we doubt those things that God has told us, then we're a double-minded person and we shouldn't expect to hear from God. 
we need to be faithful. So then we get to, to our passage today, 9 through 12, and it starts off by saying, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. And the first thing we have to ask ourselves, I guess the introductory question is, who are the lowly and the rich? Who are, who are the lowly and the rich? The first thing we notice is that the, the uh, lowly is called a brother, right? Uh, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. In other words, um, the lowly is a Christian, a brother or sister in Christ. And what does lowly mean? Well, the Greek word is te- tepenos, which, is, um, which means someone of a low status or someone who is just simply poor. But to be honest with you, in the ancient world, it, that's synonymous. <laughs> uh, poor people have no status, right? And, and thankfully, we live in a day that, oh, wait a minute, right? It's very similar, right? Um, the, the poor of the earth have no status. No one cares. They don't typically have a voice. They have a lot of people who do stuff, right, who, who wish to represent them and do well for them, but it's not necessarily something that um, they've asked for. Uh, the poor have always been with us. The Lord Jesus says that they will always be with us. Coincidentally, the early church consisted primarily of the lowly, of the poor of the earth, the ones who had very little to no power, very little to nothing in their name. But not the whole church. There were some who were quite wealthy who joined the church. You, you might recall Joseph of Arimathea, right? It was his tomb. He was a wealthy man. Nicodemus, we understand through tradition, is, became a follower of Jesus uh, after his death and resurrection. He was a wealthy, powerful man. We can look throughout the, the book of Acts and how people were... Uh, uh, um, converted to Christianity, like Lydia, the seller of, uh, of purple dye. She had a large house and the church used to meet in her. So there were, there, were, there were rich people. There were people of status within the church, but the overwhelming majority of them were the lowly, some free, some even slaves. The rich. It simply goes on and says, and the rich in his humiliation. The question then is, is the rich also a brother or not? And most commentators, well, all that I have read, um, and just myself as a <coughs> biblical scholar, uh, believes that it's, it, it, it's true. It's just basically brother carries throughout the whole thing. So, I mean, you could say the, the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. You could equally say, let the rich brother boast in his humiliation and the lowly in his exaltation. In other words, both the lowly and the rich are brothers. Both, the, uh, both of them are supposed to be boasting in something. The lowly boasting in their humiliation uh, or the, and the uh, rich in their, I'm sorry, the rich in their humiliation, the lowly in their exaltation. So, that, that's where we're at. A church, trials are coming. Within it, there are brothers and sisters who are both lowly 
and to our rich. And James tells us these things, that the lowly brother should boast in his exaltation. What in the world would that mean? What exaltation? How would suffering a trial be considered an exaltation? First of all, exaltation simply means high position, right? To be exalted is to go from uh, this low rank into a high one. And what, what James is saying is, is that in the midst of this tri- these trials, the lowly are to boast in their new status, their status of being exalted. And the reason is, in Christ, we are counted worthy of sharing in his sufferings. In other words, the lowly suffer all the time. The lowly undergo trials all the time. But in Christ now, they understand that they have a purpose for their suffering and it's for something great. Just as Christ suffered and brought them into his family, they too now, as they undergo trials, as they undergo tribulations, they undergo suffering, they're doing it in Christ and it is something that makes them worthy of a much greater status and that is brother and heir in Christ. If you look at Romans chapter eight, verse 17, and I'm reading from the NIV because I like how it sounds better. (laughs) Because I can do that. Here we go. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Isn't that wonderful? So you have the lowly who have been their whole life in suffering, trials, things come and go, they remain the same. And then here comes the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they have been counted worthy of his love, that the king of the universe would save them, that they can enter into his kingdom but not simply as some sort of serf, some sort of peasant or a slave in that kingdom. They are brothers of the king and co-heirs with that very king Christ. And the evidence of this is that they're sharing in his sufferings. It gives meaning and purpose to all that they're going through and they can remain steadfast. Uh, I didn't count it a blessing growing up, but later in life I do, and that is that I grew up in a poor church. I myself was poor. I didn't know that until I was in seventh grade. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I have a taste for government cheese. Um, they made great grilled cheese sandwiches, that American cheese. My wife is disgusted at me for saying that, but, but it just gives good home memories. Uh, I, you know, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that. I knew that my dad was called as a pastor to this particular church. He served for 19 years, uh, and, and it was a, an impoverished area. Um, a lot of blue-collar um, activity. Most, uh, most of the men worked at the shipyard at Mare Island. 
um, lots in, of uh, mixed ethnic, you know, Filipino and Guamanian in particular, who also worked at the shipyard. Uh, lots of uh, crime, drugs uh, in my neighborhood. Uh, lots of difficulties. And I remembered being a little frustrated with the people in my church. The prayers of the people in my church, they kept praying for different situations and different things. And I kept thinking to myself, they keep praying for the same thing. I said, Dad, why don't they just do something different? Get a different job. Get a different, right? In my mind, I kept doing this. And my dad would just explain their situation and the difficulties. He knew the people. He knew what was going on. But I'll tell you, these people were steadfast. They came to church faithfully. They prayed faithfully. I, I grew up in that. I grew up in that and wanted to be a pastor eventually. And then, which I was for many years. And now the headmaster of a Christian school. It's an amazing thing. I used to tell people about uh, my youth group at church. Ready? Here it is. We didn't have one. <laughs> my youth group consisted of about five or six guys and two gals, and we simply just went to church. And then we had Sunday school, and we had faithful people who taught us. And every once in a while, because all the guys like to go fishing, Art Munoz would take us fishing. That was our youth group. And of those people, I became a pastor and the headmaster of a school. I had uh, Jay Aquino, he became a staff member with Crew. Don Swift became a staff member with Young Life. My brother is a Bible teacher at Azusa Pacific University. Um, in other words, and oh, and Nancy Suter, although she wasn't, she was like, uh, when I became in high school, she had just graduated. Um, she was a Wycliffe missionary in Guatemala for 20 some years translating the Bible. The faithfulness of this church, this small church of lowly people were steadfast and produced uh, such amazing fruit and that fruit continues to grow from their steadfastness. They underwent trials and tribulations and though it didn't produce money, it didn't produce status, it produced lots of good works. And the gospel has been brought. People have come to Christ. The world is different because of that Alliance Church in Vallejo, California. God, James goes on and says this. And the rich, so... There's boasting, right? The, the, the low bro, lowly brother should boast in their exaltation. In their, their suffering now, is, uh, it means something. And the rich should boast in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. This is a weird verse. This, this part is a little uh, harder to get our heads around. What does it mean, the rich and their humiliation? How is the suffering of the, the trials that the poor go and exaltation, but the, suf the same trials 
affect the rich in a different way. That their boasting should be in their humiliation. Well, I think part of it is, is the way you look at it in terms of the world. Okay? The rich generally have ways in which to mitigate trials and suffering. They have much more freedom. Much more freedom. Uh, lots of things can afflict the rich and it not really mattering. It, mattering. That does not even work. Matter. We, we uh, <coughs> Chris Steinbarger, who's the principal at the upper school at uh, Providence Academy, and I just the other day were looking through the lost and found in our, in our upper school and looking at the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of clothing and things left there. Like, and I just picked out a few of these things and going, how in the world can someone miss this? Like how, like this was not going to happen, right? This, in our house, this would not happen. Well, if you can afford it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I kept thinking about me as a kid. If I left a $100 jacket that someone had given me at school, and then I had, my parents had to afford another one, how would we manage? I was used to my dad actually having other jobs besides pastoring. From time to time, there would be bills to pay, and some of the people would pay us. Their tithe would be in, like, government cheese or, you know, vegetables that they grew in their garden. Um, my dad would get his toolbox out. He would be a handyman for a while, or he'd do security at a, at a place at, at night. And I can't imagine what a, missing a jacket would do, and yet, evidently, it doesn't matter for some. Right? So what is, it, what is it that it's talking about here? What, is the, what are the trials that would be uh, a humiliation? Well, there's, there's a couple things. The first has to do with your identification. So here's the thing. I did that for my daughter. In Christ, we're all one and we're brothers and sisters. In Christ, we're all one and we're brothers and sisters. In the ancient world, particular here in James' day, the idea of the rich being with the lowly is really odd. It would probably be a great embarrassment to you. If I were rich hanging out with these people or considering these people my people, and when the trials are going through the church, the rich are making a decision. What do I do? Who are mine? Where are my responsibilities lie? Where is my identity? And, and let's be honest, it only took a few years of college for me to start identifying with people other than the church I grew up in. It becomes interesting, the things they talk about, the things that they do. How easy it would be to judge them. How easy it was for me to be frustrated with my own dad who was ministering faithfully to them. Almost like, dad, you could do better than this. What a fool I am. What a fool I am. And we see this even today, 
right now the media and the world shaming evangelicals, are they not? They'll take the silliest, stupidest things they could possibly find and try to label us all. To the point where we make decisions, do we even call ourselves evangelical or not? Right? We're brothers and sisters. Who do I identify with? Do I want the approval of the world? Or am I going to share in the sufferings of my brothers and sisters? Second thing is, is that it's um, when suffering and persecution comes to a community, uh, the poor are hit, and they're kind of used to it. They move on. They're steadfast because of their, their new understanding and the purpose of their suffering. The people with a lot to lose have other decisions that they're trying to make. You know, we know that the Equality Act is uh, something on the table in the White House and in Congress. Providence Academy, our, our board together on Saturday was, you know, a week ago Saturday, looking at vision. We got to talk about this. How do we remain steadfast if we think the government and their power is going to try to do things? Can we do it? Well, we've, we've been helped by the fact that we have not taken government money. I think that's gonna be a big help. Who do we go to? Who's our lawyer? Who can we do, right? These are, these are preventative things that we can do, but what happens? what happens when it really comes down to it? Are we gonna remain steadfast or are we going to capitulate? We got this nice $12 million building we've gotten up. Would that be in jeopardy? Maybe but we want to be steadfast. Because if we're compromising at all, then what good is our, our school? And I'll tell you, and this is a hard fact, I don't see the lowly churches clamoring for heresy. I've never seen a lowly church want to accommodate itself to the world. I've never seen the lowly church clamoring and pestering pastors and people to make their services seem more acceptable to the rest of the world, or one that will be uh, professional enough not to bore their children. When you're lowly, you know you need to be saved. There's not much out there that'll save you. You need Jesus. And why do you come to church? Because you have to. You have to be there. The brothers and sisters are gathered together to hear the word of God and to pray for one another. And we need to be there. When you're rich, you got better things to do sometimes. Persecution, trials, tries and tests our faith. It becomes that thing that really makes us figure out who we are and where our loyalties are. Who are our brothers and sisters? What's important in life? Ah, which leads us to that next thing. We read here, James says, 
Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I'll tell you when I first read this, I think, I think what's going on here is like other scriptures talking about the fact that riches and things, they will rust, they will fall away, right? Jesus teaches that, right? You should have your treasures in heaven where moth and rust won't go. And, and I, my mind will, will automatically go to this thing that, that James is warning us that, you know, those riches and things, they will fade away. But that's not what he's saying. He's not saying riches will fade away. He says the rich man will. You are going to die. We all will. The lowly and the rich, we will all pass away. It's inevitable. Makes it sobering. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. I know lots of rich people are very steadfast. But often they're steadfast in their pursuits. And not steadfast in pursuing Christ and his people. If you read scripture you'll note that God favors neither the rich nor the poor. There are two lies that I hear often. One is that, the, that God is always for the poor. That's a lie. Others, another one that says God wants us all to be rich. That's also a lie. God has put us in various positions in different places for his own purposes. And our goal is simply to be faithful, to be steadfast in his faith. And he puts things in our way, in our way to test our faith so that we might grow steadfast and become perfect, become like Christ. And when we lose that goal in mind, if we, if we ignore that, if we, if we think somehow that life is about something other than what God has put together we're always going to be stumbling. The second part here I want to mention with the rich is they have the opportunity to boast in their humiliation, to boast in it, okay? Not a negative, it's a positive. Boast in this humiliation. And that's because, like Christ, you're sharing in his humiliation. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read the whole thing, 1 through 11. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from, uh, from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And here it is. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, he humbled himself, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He humbled himself. His humiliation was voluntary so that he can serve and save To the rich, that ought to be the same goal, the same boasting. That like Christ, we have humbled ourselves. And it's worth it. It's worth it because of the glory that is to come. Which gets us to the final point. Verse 12 which I just lost my place. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. In uh, Greek, there's different words for crown. The word here is stephanos which means like a laurel. It has to do with a reward. It's a, it's, a, it's a crown of glory for achievement. It's not about class or rank. It's not about, you know, you, you're about a sign of royalty or somehow you're a cut above. It's a way of, dem- of, of showing that someone has achieved something uh, worthy of some sort of merit and praise. And... And James is saying to us that when we, serve, when we pass this test, when we remain steadfast through these trials, there awaits for us this crown of life. We'll receive a crown of life. We'll receive glory from Christ himself. Imagine that. Imagine that. Imagine all the glory and power and money on the planet or welcome good and faithful servant enter into joy today and then receiving a crown of life. Which do you desire more? Which would you desire more? The glories of this world, as James says, it fades because I fade, I die, we pass away. But in eternal life, there's a crown waiting for us if we pass the test, if we remain steadfast. John writes to the church, John records a message to the church of Smyrna in Revelation. He says, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. That's Jesus. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. 
and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will, be, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You see this in, in Revelation as well in, as James. For those who persevere under trial, the crown of life awaits for us. We simply need to be steadfast. So what do we do, brothers and sisters? We live in a world where trials and tribulations come. I believe that we're living in a time when there's going to be more overt and direct threats as it relates to our faith. I would say that this is a good time to resolve, to think and resolve that you would desire to be steadfast and that crown of life is worth much more than whatever your pursuit is in this life. And if you lack wisdom, pray and he'll give it to you. And that we all, as we approach these things, consider it joy. And that together, those of us who are rich and those of us who are lowly can boast together in the Lord and what he is doing in and through us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you once again for your love. And it would be uh, naive of us to think that we can be steadfast without your spirit, without your grace in our life. We know that you've already paid for it all and you give us everything we need for life and for godliness. So I pray, God, for your church. Help us, Lord, to boast in these gifts that you give us. Your spirit, your word, your church. And help us, Lord, then to remain steadfast through these trials that we might grow up and become the people you have destined us to be. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.